Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of your favorite niche Queens tennis podcast, <laughs> Breakpoint Podcast, uh, with myself Frankie and my co-host here, Marcus. And in this episode, we're going to be doing our year-end review, wrapping up, giving our version of the Oscars here, if you will. Very prestigious awards. I hear that we're going to have many guests. Players are going to come receive their awards. I'm just kidding. It's us alone in Marcus's living room. That's fine. Um, but anyway, so very interesting year on the tour. Um, obviously not as sort of um broken up as 2020 was which i think would make it very hard to give awards for 2020 but 2021 was relatively smooth uh for the most part so i think we can pretty accurately give these um so first award we're going to start out with marcus player of the year starting out big who is our player of the year novak djokovic um and the reason being is that he had a what was it 27 and 1 record in slams that alone honestly should get you player of the year in my opinion um i mean he also i don't know how many masters titles he won but he won a, quite a bunch probably and he's basically whatever other tournament he enters into he basically wins um he did have a hiccup uh, at the olympics um and also in the final of the u.s open but the the deal with that amount of pressure to go for not only the you know the calendar slam but also the golden slam with the olympics there um, he, he dealt with it incredibly well, and I think that anybody else would not have dealt with it as well as he did, and he just had the one of the best years in tennis that we've ever seen. It's just crazy that two years in his career have actually been better this year, so that's what also makes it incredible. Um, uh, but for, you know, yeah, I mean, player of the year has got to be Novak. Yeah, so I actually agree with you. I don't think this is Novak's best season by, like, a pretty significant margin. Like, I think his 2011 season's, like, way better than this. But, um... That just shows you that the quality of player that Novak is. Uh, but yeah, I think alone the 27-1 record in Grand Slams is just stupid. Um, and it's funny because the weakest part of a season was probably the clay court season where we saw Tsitsipas do pretty well, Zverev did well, uh, Nadal obviously did well, but who won Roland Garros? Novak Djokovic. And it's just like, you know, this guy's incredible. So uh, yeah, I think Novak is a clear choice here. I, I think the other nominees... If we're going to list other nominees, would be uh, Sasha Zverev, definitely Olympic gold, World Tour finals, arguably the two other biggest tournaments outside of Grand Slams. And then lastly, the person who dominated the hardcourt season and won uh, the U.S. Open, Daniil Medvedev, uh, would be the other. Uh, so continuing this trend that we've sort of spoken about of these three guys are in another sort of echelon to everybody else on tour right now, at least. So yeah next up newcomer of the year uh this doesn't necessarily have to be somebody who is you know like this is their first year playing on the tour but uh somebody who the public the wider public of tennis was was really first introduced to uh so marcus give it to us yeah frank and i are gonna agree here um this has got to be carlos alcaraz um he had a fantastic season capping it with a very good run in Paris-Bercy, but his most memorable highlight of the season was making the quarterfinals of the U.S. Open and beating Stefano Tsitsipas. Uh, what was it, the second second or third round, right? Um, yeah, I mean, this guy, is he's 18 years old. He's from Spain. He's got that kind of Nadal vibe with him, and you just kind of have that feeling that he's going to be a really good player for a long time, and he absolutely dominated. Um, and he 
most of the matches, especially towards the second half of, of this year. Um, I had the honor of watching him play live uh, on the first Monday of the U.S. Open against Cam Norrie, who he absolutely shredded to pieces. And that means a lot because Cam Norrie had a very, very good year and has stepped his game up to another level. But the way that he took Norrie apart, I was like, damn, this is... This is going to be really, really tough for guys moving forward, and we need to watch out for him going forward. What do you think, Frank? Yeah, I think Alcaraz is a clear pick. Um, I think another testament that sort of Marcus didn't mention was the next-gen finals. I don't think Alcaraz even dropped a set. I mean, he just... He's so clearly on another level to all of the other young players, um, and some of whom I think will be really good. Like I think Corda is going to be like a really solid player. I think Musetti is going to be a really solid player. I just think Alcaraz is. Uh, it's so clear, like him and Sinner, like those are future top five players. Very clearly, future top five players, Grand Slam potential winning players. Um, so yeah, it's got to be Alcaraz for me. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, Frank, we're going to get into... So, breakout player of the year. Uh, we just want to quickly notice the difference between that and newcomer. Breakout player of the year is someone who's kind of already been established on tour, um, but maybe has really broken out to a new level of of, of tennis that maybe they hadn't achieved prior in their career. Um, for me, that is going to be uh, Daniil Medvedev, and I know that's going to be kind of a hot take because he's had some very successful years the last two years, winning a lot of hardcore masters and stuff, but... He broke through. He was the first breakthrough of the quote-unquote next gen to win a Grand Slam, and not only win a Grand Slam to beat Novak Djokovic while doing it. That is not something Zverev has done, or that is not something Tsitsipas has done. Although he almost did, but almost doesn't count. So Medvedev is the one who did it. I'm giving him Breakout Player of the Year just for that. I mean, and again, he had a great rest of his year as well you know establishing himself as a top five top two player so i mean that's my pick what do you what's your pick frank yeah so i don't i i won't disagree with that i think i think uh daniel is the obvious choice because he won the grand slam i mean he was the one that finally did it broke this sort of hegemony that's been going on with novak but for me um i picked a player who i think has would also be my pick for most improved believe it or not. And that's Sasha Zverev. Um, so in the same way that you mentioned Daniil beat Novak to win his slam, I think, again, I hold the Olympics on a different regard to Marcus, but um, an Olympic gold is just as good as a grand slam to me, if not even more pressure because it's once every four years. Uh, and Zverev beat Novak, like really, and came back to beat Novak. Um you know, obviously there's something to be said about what Daniil did of just pulverizing Novak, quite honestly, and like making him cry, quite literally making him cry. Uh, but uh, Zverev, Zverev came back and like mentally outlasted Novak, which is not something that happens really often at all nowadays. And I think, again, to come and win the ATP finals, beating Novak and then Medvedev back to back is a phenomenal achievement, a really phenomenal achievement. And uh, yeah, I, I think. And and Marcus, I, I want to hear your thoughts on this too. Like, I I felt different about Zverev than I ever have this year. Like when I watch Zverev now, I'm just like, I think he's gonna beat no. Like, and that's why I predicted it at the World Tour Finals. Like, I legitimately think like 
oh yeah, like if you're giving me a toss up right now, like I think Zverev beats Djokovic. Like I think he has his number at this point. And like I think that Zverev is going to now be like a legitimate pick at multiple majors to win the whole thing because I think really there's there's not many people that are going to be able to upset him uh, in many capacities. Like, you know, Taylor Fritz did at Indian Wells, but, like, Fritz also played, like, literally the match of his life. Um, I just don't see that happening very often with Zverev anymore, and I think that that is, like, a monumental step in a player's career, and it wasn't something that I necessarily thought Zverev would reach, quite honestly, because he had kind of stagnated for, like, a year or two, and he really, like, broke that plateau. So that's why that's why Zverev gets the shout from me. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Zverev has shown that he can beat, you know, Djokovic, Federer, and Nadal in the past. The question was his consistency. And now that he's becoming more and more consistent, he's constantly a deep threat in these tournaments. And I feel like that Novak is having some serious trouble beating him or even getting a grasp on what Sasha's kind of throwing in his way. Um, and he looks a lot more confident. He seems to have been getting his fitness in order and kind of what other issues he's dealing with. Um, and he is a constant threat now, and I think he will win one or two slams next year, in my humble opinion. And I think that there are some clear markers in his game. For example, we've spoken about this in previous episodes, his second serve. I think he knows how important that is, and I think he's really going to work on it this offseason. And if he can get that to being like ha- at least half of what its potential is, he will most certainly win a Grand Slam. Um, I think maybe even two. Um, but, you know, that's kind of up for debate. But, yeah, no, Sverev is a great choice for Breakout Player of the Year. So, um, yeah. Let's get into Disappointment of the Year. I think Frank and I are basically going to agree on this one because we're, we were, I mean, we were just disappointed and we kind of thought that this guy would also take kind of a next step. Um, going to go with Andre Rublev. He had a very good 2020, got himself into the top 10, and then this year really disappointed, especially the second half of the year. I mean, he was just losing to guys who we just he basically had no business losing to and back to back to back. He couldn't even qualify for the group stage, uh, sorry, for the knockout stage of the World Tour Finals. Even though Stefano Tsitsipas pulled out, he ended up losing to Casper Ruud in the final match um, to qualify himself, which is not a good sign for him. I think he needs to go back to the drawing board and kind of figure out how his how he's going to evolve his game. Or maybe he just kind of stagnates there. Um, yeah, Frank, who, I mean, I know that you're going to pick Rublev too for disappointment, but kind of give us some reasoning why. I saw you were just on your laptop a little bit. Yeah, so I wanted to pull up the stats because, like, uh, obviously there was a very clear um, drop-off there for me, at least, like, just aesthetically looking at it. But um, another thing I forgot to mention for Zverev, while I remember it, is Zverev had the most wins on tour this season. That was another thing that he did. So that would, that was my other uh, reason for picking him. So last year, um, Rublev's win percentage, he was 41-10, and 10, which is, yeah, shock, I know. Yeah, that's pretty good. 80%, 80% win, which is like, obviously, that's pretty sick. Um, went from 23 in the world in 2019 to uh, number 8 in the world in 20, uh, 2020. This year, he finished at number five in the world, so his ranking did go up. Um, however, which is mostly due to his performance in the Masters events, because uh, in last year, 2020, Indian Wells, Miami, Monte Carlo, Madrid, and uh, the Canadian Open were not held, whereas in this year, they were held, and obviously, you know, 
uh, Rublev got to at least like a decent spot in all of those. So there's a lot of ranking points for him to pick up. However, his win-loss percentage on the year, he won 49 matches, so he won more matches, which also is a function of more tournaments being held. Lost 22. So his win rate went from 80% to 69%, um, which is the lowest that it had been since 2019. So I, I just, I, I think that he, um, you know, he, he took a little bit of a step back. I, I was, and I was just somewhat concerned with the way that he was playing. I don't know what it was. Another stat that you can look at, he got five titles and five finals last year in 2020 right that was the thing that we spoke about that was incredible was this guy just won every final that he got to he was one and four this year in finals one career one title this year after winning five the last year so that's a pretty pretty like shocking drop off there um you know so so i think a little bit of a disappointing um disappointing year from him i mean you could look at grand slam results too australian open um 2020 fourth round 2021 you got to the quarterfinals solid french open got to the quarterfinals in 2020 lost in the first round 2021 um wimbledon wasn't held so nothing to comment on there u.s open got to the quarterfinals in 2020 which makes sense it's a really good hardcore player knocked out in the third round this year and the U.S. Open was a fairly open draw this year because there was just a ton of upsets all over the place. And Rublev really could have taken advantage, but he lost in the third round. So, you know, again, that's kind of the the, the story a little bit with Rublev. It is, there, was an, uh, there was an opportunity to, to really do something there, and, and he just didn't do it. But, um, listen, hopefully he bounces back next year. I think the guy's got a really fun game to watch, so hopefully that changes. This was one that we had to think about a lot. Um comeback player of the year uh so initially we thought of andreas seppi because we just like had not heard the name andreas seppi on tour for years and then all of a sudden this guy gets to the third round of the u.s open beats herbie Hercash, like gets the second round of wimbledon like seemingly his name is there and he's winning matches um but obviously on the season he just doesn't play enough i think to really qualify for this um as much as we both have an affinity for um andreas seppi um, so tell us who we ended up deciding on for comeback player of the year. Yeah, first of all, shout out to Andreas. We thought you retired, um, but you know, good to, good to know that you're still out there balling and winning. By the way, so you know, big respect to you. But um, comeback player of the year for us, gonna be Marin Cilic. Um, Marin Cilic has not been inside the top thirty. Was it top thirty or top fifty for like the last two or three years? And hasn't even made the final or won a title since 2018. Comes back this year, wins two titles. Has a pretty good win-loss ratio. Kind of establishes himself on tour. Um, I know the last year or two, I know he had, uh, yeah, he got married. He had some kids, so tennis kind of wasn't his number one priority. It seems like that's kind of settled down. Um, and he is getting a little bit older, but that's not bad. Not a bad year for him to win two titles. Um, and I'm very curious to see what he kind of does next year. Now that he can really focus on a full calendar year, get himself ready. Yeah, I think the Grand Slam results weren't really there for Marin Cilic. Um, he lost in like you know within the first three rounds of all of them. But uh, I think the stat that you look at is uh, win percentage on the year um, and just wins and losses. Quite honestly, uh, so 2018, 44 and 20, 69 percent win percentage, one title. 2019 went 22 and 19, so pretty average like mid-level um no titles no finals 54 percent win percentage year-end ranking of 39 in the world after being finishing as seven in the world the year before finished he finished within the top eight in the world from 2016 through 2018 
for context. Um, then 2020, obviously not a lot of tournaments held, but no finals, no titles, 54% win percentage. Ranking fell down to 42 in the world. Uh, now, Marin Cilic this year has won two titles, gotten to three finals, and it has a 63% win percentage going 33-19. and 19. And in those two titles that he won, St. Petersburg and Stuttgart, he beat FAA and he beat Taylor Fritz. Um, so two pretty solid wins against guys that are much younger and much quicker than him, and he just kind of found a way to win. So I'm really happy to see Marin Cilic on tour. I really like him, so uh, I'm happy happy, happy for him. And also he won uh, Olympic silver in doubles with Ivan Dodig, which is, a, I mean, that's that's nothing to scoff at, so good for him. Yeah, no, really good year by him, and uh, I'm, I'm kind of glad that he's back on tour. He's a fun player to watch, um, and he really brings some interesting things to the game that I think, we're kind of missing you know um so. he's also a good guy like he's one of those people that you're just like this seems like a very nice um human being so and i don't know if you watched um besides the his steroid use no comment um shout out to nikolai davidenko um uh, the other thing that i would say uh, about marin chilich is that it, did you see the um the Stuttgart final by any chance? Like, did you watch see that ceremony, anything like that? I did not. I'm assuming it was emotional. Yeah, it was really emotional because it, it was the first title that he's won that his kids have ever seen him win. Um, so he got like pretty choked up about that and then like very emotional. So sort of talking about what you were uh, what you were mentioning with having a family and everything. So I was very happy to see Marin Cilic. Um, good guy, uh, major champion, obviously. So it's good to see him come back. Yeah, all jokes aside with the with the steroid thing, no, but he's really he really is a good guy. I've had the pleasure of meeting him too. He's a really, really nice guy. So yeah, that was a that was a joke. We like the joke on this pod, so yeah. Um uh, all right. So Marcus, it's time to bring up your favorite player on tour nowadays. The surprise player of the year, huh? God, he's making me do it. Oh god, I hate this. F you Frank. Um yeah, Casper Ruud's my surprise player of the year. Um, and not necessarily, not, that doesn't mean like, you know, comeback, uh, sorry, uh, like newcomer breakout, just surprised. I'm shocked that this guy has made the top 10. And I know the reasons why. I looked at his record and what kind of tournaments he wanted to get here. But I'm really surprised by also how well he did at the World Tour Finals and kind of towards the end of the year. Really big shout out to him. I think that his game is really good now. And I'm really eager to see what he does in 2022. I think he could be a f- threat at the French Open, for sure. Um, and yeah, I was just honestly really surprised. And it's kind of nice to see when someone come from the Scandinavian countries or a country where tennis is not necessarily strong. The only really other player from Norway who has ever come out was actually his father. Um, I believe his name is Christian Rude from back in the day. But it's nice to see Casper do well. And uh, yeah, he seems like he's also a really good guy. So I'm 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 satisfied with that pick. Yeah, uh, Sweden obviously dominates the Scandinavian countries. They've had quite a quite a number of good players but uh so originally i wrote down casper as well but i'm going to bring up somebody else who i think um deserves a shout out and we didn't mention him anywhere else so i'm going to give him a shout out um because i think in terms of a surprise this is a player that i never really thought would come anywhere close to the level and ranking that he is currently at and it's cam nori um cam nori like i had barely even heard of this guy quite honestly um up until this year and every time I've seen him he's gotten better and better looks better and better um I don't know maybe this is his peak maybe this is as high as he gets I think that's a very real possibility quite honestly but the guy 
really held his own, never looked like he was intimidated. I think to be British and playing at Wimbledon is absolutely horrifying, as has been shown over and over again by these British players, like perennially underperforming. But Yeah, how uh, British he really is. Um, he, he grew up in New Zealand. No, I know that. But he's still repping the, the Union Jack at Wimbledon, so he's going to get the pressure from it. So... Uh, and he did really well. If anything, he seemed to embrace the pressure. And, and, you know, so I give Nori a lot of credit. He won the fifth major, if you will, by most people's accounts at Indian Wells. Um, stepped up, filled in, looked really, really good at um, at the World Tour Finals. Um, and I'm very happy that he, he got the chance to play there because I think he deserves it. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I have a lot of respect for Cam Norrie. I think Cam Norrie is one of those people that everybody who's, like, more of a consistent watching tennis fan will be like, yeah, like, that's a guy who very clearly grinded and got every ounce of talent out of his body um, to make uh, the World Tour Finals. Very, like, Marty Fish-like, I think, also. That's, that's the player that comes to mind when I think of Cam Norrie. Yeah, that's a great comparison. He doesn't really have that much natural talent, honestly. Um, and he's a guy who actually played college tennis, played for TCU for three years, left his uh, in between his junior and senior year to kind of pursue the pro route, which I was a little bit surprised about. But now that he's shown over the years, he spent a lot of time grinding it out. You know what I'm most impressed by? Um, his his coach is Argentinian, and he played a lot of tournaments in places where you would never, ever think that he would go. He went down, instead of playing, you know, maybe the indoor tournaments in North America, he went down to South America, grinded it out on the clay with the dirt bowlers, even though that's not his natural service. I, I give a lot of respect for guys who go do that, who go against the grain and make it tougher for themselves. He did that, and he's earned his spot um, as a top 20 player in the world. And it's funny, we, we should talk about this on a separate to- uh, podcast, but like that is a very common factor, seemingly, with all of these guys, is that they go to these unorthodox places, play smaller tournaments than you think they would, um, and they get a lot out of it. I mean, Jan, uh, I think that's very key in Italy's development as like a tennis, quote unquote, tennis powerhouse nowadays is that Italy isn't really hosting a lot of like Masters 1000 events. Like they have one, Rome, and then now the World Tour Finals are there. But the rest of the tournaments in Italy are basically all challengers and 250s. And you think that that's a bad thing, but in actuality, it's a really good thing because it gives a lot of these players the chance to get ATP matches in and and, and, on, and grind out the tour. And, uh, you know, there's a certain country that we live in that could take some notes. Um, but a separate rant again. So this next uh, award, I think, is by far the, the most clear, in my opinion, even more so than player of the year. It's match of the year, uh, which I'll just say it for us is the Roland Garros semifinals, Novak versus Nadal. Uh, that third set is the greatest set of tennis that I have ever seen, period, end of story. Um, it is one of the best matches I have ever seen, even though it was only four sets, which is kind of funny to think about. Um, but yeah, I think that that match could end up being the, one of the most consequential matches in the history of tennis it's like right there with 2008 Wimbledon finals Fed Fed versus Nadal yeah Matt I mean it's got to be match of the year I mean like I like you said best set of tennis we've ever seen and again just the mat first of all the quality of play in that match was better than any other match that we've seen throughout the year and the magnitude of that what that match meant to the goat debate is unfathomable and is basically undeniable so yeah match of the year that's kind of a clear choice for us um and that kind of leads us also into tournament of the year um 
I was originally going to say the U.S. Open, but that's also a little bit biased because we're Frank and I live like 10 minutes from the U.S. Open, and we missed the U.S. Open last year because of obviously of COVID restrictions, and this year we were finally able to go and experience a full-blown U.S. Open, and we had a fantastic time. The energy was just absolutely electric. The fans were fantastic. The players, we had so many five-setters, so many thrilling matches, storylines, you name it. So uh, when you, it's a little different when you're actually there and you feel it all when you're on site. Um, and then also, I mean, you also had the whole Novak, you know, going for history thing. So, but if we have to look at this thing like we have to in this episode, um, objectively, I got to say Roland Garros is probably the tournament of the year just because of the quality of matches throughout the tournament, um, especially the semis and the finals. Sissi Pasferov semi was fantastic. Djokovic and all we just spoke about and then the final was also just outrageous the way Djokovic came back and you know won his match after he did his cocaine break yeah another underrated match from that tournament uh Berrettini Novak that was a fantastic match Berrettini looked like he was about to win that and then all of a sudden the fans had to go and Novak just took over um so yeah I, I think Roland Garros was the pick I saw so many matches that just had me on the edge of my seat so to say um throughout that tournament and it was just a pleasure to watch the 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 quality of tennis was so so high and and to be honest I'm not much for watching clay court tennis I think it gets really slow and boring sometimes but uh that tournament was exceptional um another match that was outrageous uh Musetti Djokovic Musetti just like absolutely destroying Djokovic and then all of a sudden Novak is just like nope I got it don't worry about it and just wins quite remarkable um so yeah it's uh it's tough it's tough to look past uh that tournament i i do like the u.s open i i think that the u.s open was a the second best major this year by a by a very wide margin um but i think um the best match from that tournament from the u.s open i would go zverev djokovic just because there was that one rally that was like 54 shots, that was ridiculous. Um, the Alcaraz-Sitsipas match was obviously sick. The Sitsipas-Murray match was also sick, that tournament. Um, but I still would give the edge to, to Roland Garros because the, the, the matches at Roland Garros that were fantastic, each of them were like, you know, the at the end of the tournament, very consequential, very important matches. Whereas the U.S. Open, I think the reason why it's not number one for me is a lot of these five setters happened early on in the tournaments that they were upsets and everything. And I don't necessarily think upsets make a tournament good. I actually think they make a tournament worse. But uh, that's, again, a, a little bit of my own opinion. Yeah, that's a subjective opinion for sure. Um, one could argue that had Djokovic won the US Open, then that could have been tournament of the year just because that's where it ended. Um, but it obviously didn't. So, you know, we're left here picking Roland Garros, which again was a great tournament to watch. Um, quick note, I thought the worst tournament to watch this year was Wimbledon. I thought it was the most horrendous, boring. Horrendous tournament. Horrendous tournament this year. Um, one quick note on the US Open, I would add. It was also not great because Daniil just pretty much stomped the entire field on the way through. And when you like actually think about it, like you look at his results, you're just like, oh, he just like killed everyone on the way and just like 
won the final in an hour and a half. Yeah, the bottom half of the draw was absurdly just, I don't know what the draw makers were. I mean, again, they do these things random, but sometimes you're looking at it like, oh my God, can we at least just switch a name here or two? Because the bottom half of the draw is an absolute joke. I don't want it to be random. Like, make the draw so that way it's the most entertaining, most competitive matches. Like, I don't want to see somebody have a wide open draw to the final. It's not good. It's not good for the game. It's stupid. Um, All right, so... Last category that we have before we uh, wrap up here, Coach of the Year. And this is one that, you know, nobody really ever talks about, quite honestly, but I think is a really interesting one. So I'll kick off mine and then I'll go to yours. Um, My pick was Juan Carlos Ferrero, who is the coach of Carlos Alcaraz. And I think that I chose him because it's really hard to manage somebody that has as much hype as Carlos Alcaraz had. Um, quite honestly, the most that's been around probably since Nadal. Um, and that was like the natural comparison, like being Spanish, like uh, Sinner had a lot of hype. Don't get me wrong, but Sinner didn't have anybody that he was in direct shadow to. Carlos has Rafael Nadal in his, like to, to live up to. And I think that Juan Carlos Ferrero just did a masterful job of always tempering Carlos, bringing him down, like saying, don't worry about that. Like, this is a long road. Your goal is to get in the top, like, 100 by the end of this year or top 50 would be great. And it's like Carlos just shattered every expectation. Um, A lot of the reason due to Juan Carlos Ferrero really knowing how to mentor um, Carlos Alcaraz. So that would be my pick. Yeah, um, I can't disagree with that. I think Juan Carlos Ferrero, by the way, has a very good track record of being a coach ever since he's retired, and he's got his own fantastic academy in Spain, so he's definitely one of the top coaches on tour and also up-and-coming coaches on tour. I think we're going to be seeing a lot more from him, especially with Alcaraz. My coach of the year, I'm going to go with Tony Nadal because he made two two reasons why. First of all, his student, or yeah, I guess you could say student player, um, Felix Auger-Aliassime, FAA, made two Grand Slam finals, which has kind of been missing from him. He has not really had great results in, um, say that again? Semifinals, not finals. Oh my God, I said finals? Yeah. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> That's all right. No, my bad. <laughs> I tried looking at you, trying to mouth it to me, and I was like, oh boy, I said something wrong. Yeah, semifinals, I apologize. Um, but he had also never made kind of like, I mean, maybe he made quarters once somewhere. Frank's going to check for us, but... He had always been relatively subpar at uh, Grand Slams, and we kind of always been expecting more from him. But this year, he kind of broke out in that regard um, and beat some really good opponents. So I was really kind of impressed with that. And I think to myself, hmm, how come that is? And then I realized that Tony Nadal took over his coaching duties, I believe, at the end of last year, beginning of this year. And second, Tony Nadal is showing that he can coach people besides uh, Rafael Nadal, which is something that is extremely impressive and that no one ever kind of really thought of. Everyone thought, you know, oh, he can only work with Rafa. However, he is showing that he is a true, genuine genius of the game and that he can figure out how to coach other people besides a lefty from Mallorca. So shout out to Tony. I think that he would be my coach of the year. Um Still waiting on Frank to get some stats here. What do you yeah, got? Yeah, so Grand Slam results. Let's do that. Uh, Australian Open 2020 first round. French Open 2020 first round. Wimbledon wasn't held. U.S. Open fourth round. That was notable because he basically almost made Andy Murray retire in that U.S. Open, if you remember. That was one of the biggest like butt whoopings, if you will, that I've ever seen. 2021, Australian Open fourth round. So three-round improvement. French Open, still fourth round. Felix is not good on clay, so that's something he needs to improve. 
Uh, Wimbledon, quarterfinals, really strong. U.S. Open, semifinals. Uh, okay, um, so I was wrong on Wimbledon because I thought he made the semis at Wimbledon, but I guess he didn't. Uh, yeah, I actually thought he did too, but um, clearly I'm just remembering wrong. But yeah, I mean, listen, his major record went from 3-3 three and three in 2020 to 12-4. and four. Like, that is a remarkable improvement. So, uh, you know, he, he um, he's... he's I, I see a very clear progression with him. I've seen improvements in his game. I think his backhand's getting better. I think he's not just... He he's becoming a player that's not simply, uh, you know, movement based speed, uh, you know, crack a forehand, big serve, you know, like he's he he his game is getting more sophisticated. Like I can very clearly tell his game is getting more sophisticated. Um, however, I was just looking up. I had no idea. Did you know that FAA has never won an ATP title? He is zero and eight in ATP finals kind of remarkable you know i think i knew that um but it's also kind of shocking because this guy is also ranked what is he ranked top 15 yeah i think he's what like 12 in the world something like that and he's never won a tournament wow okay well i guess that's guy he's got to check that off his bucket list before we talk slams so um because he got some work to do there but i'm very very confident that he will win at least one title next year um and he'll be in the mix for I don't know if he's going to be directly in the mix for Grand Slam contention. I really don't think so. But I think quarter semis, we should be expecting to see him there. Yeah, I'm with you 100% on that. Unless he starts winning some 250s, 500s, as stupid as that sounds, he needs to learn how to win tournaments, like close the tournament out. Um, you know, I don't think he'll be in contention for a slam anytime soon. Um, but I will he be in the top eight, top 16? 100%. Um, talent's definitely there. So, yeah, Felix Felix is one of those candidates that, you know, we're going to do an episode about predictions and preview for 2022. He's one of those players that I think I would predict is going to have a breakout season, um, just based on the level of improvement that I've seen from him. So we'll see. Um, anyway, I think that's uh, going to be it. Uh, we hope you have enjoyed the 2021 tennis season as much as we have. Um, obviously, Davis Cup is still left here, but... I don't think that's really going to change much of our opinions. And a lot of the top players are pulling out. People are going down injured. COVID-19 is on the Spanish team. So nothing is going to really change our opinions here. But uh, yeah, anyway, thanks for listening, guys. Really appreciate it. As always, hit us up on Instagram at BreakpointPodcast7. Um, That is also our Gmail, BreakpointPodcast7 at gmail.com. If you're on Apple, please leave us a five-star review. We really appreciate it. Any comments, questions, concerns, uh, topics for us to discuss. If you want to come on the podcast, we are more than welcome to have you. Uh, just DM us on Instagram. Thanks again, guys. See ya. Gee, go to class. Don't go to class.